I was in lockstep with with kind of the, the woke direction that had that had taken over, um, you know, my blue camp, um, and it and it was it was actually the trans stuff that made me um, second guess a lot of other things. So, um, so just just when you know, well, what's the that 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 refrain like you're conservative about whatever topic you know the most about or um, yeah, I'm, I'm yeah, butchering yeah. that quote but but yeah it's like i um you know seeing what was going on internally within trans affairs and stuff like that and then seeing so many things happening that i disagreed with and going wait there's there's a lot of stuff that's being um just taken for granted and assumed um you know that whole thing where you don't ask questions because only a bigot would would you know raise any concerns you know and so, so when I realized that I was kind of out, I'd become out of lockstep with the liberal understanding of, of what, what is righteous and pure uh, in regards to the trans stuff, that made me kind of wonder, okay, wait, are there other things, you know, in, in my camp that we're getting wrong uh, as well? Um, so, um, but, you know, to, to stay in my lane, I stick with the, with the trans stuff, you know? Well, yeah, um, I... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I there's no lane for me because I'm, uh, you know, I'm all of the things that are. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, but you know, I, I just think of myself as uh, those two Muppets in the balcony. Like, there's no such thing as staying in your lane when you're on the sidelines throwing popcorn at everybody. Right, uh, right. That's fair. On the road. <laughs> yeah. But when yeah. you started to see these things that made you question, did you, did you go start reading about things? Did you start um, going? digging towards first principles like how did you go about uh double checking your skepticism like what was the path of of like thinking through this did you have help did you just have to cogitate on it in your corner <laughs> um so so I okay. So I was right. This is kind of um, counter to, to to where we were going originally. Is is that you know we're all we're in this in this this blue bubble without much consideration. But I was actually uh, though raised in the heart of Cascadia. Um, I grew up very conservative Christian, right? Uh, very evangelical. And mm. in sometime in my early twenties, I I uh, deprogrammed myself from that. And I, so I'm no longer uh, of the Christian faith, right? And I I became an atheist in my early twenties. And so what when when I realized that there were things that I was disagreeing with within the, the trans uh, discourse and the in the in the the just kind of the narrative that I or the hmm. stew that I had found myself in, it was very reminiscent of that that deprogramming I had already done. I talked about this with um, uh, Sasha Stella. White. Uh, no, oh, Sasha. White. Well, I, yeah, I spoke about it with uh, a little bit with with um, uh, Sasha and Stella on, on gender wider lens, but but. Uh, previous to that, I spoke with uh, Sasha White in great detail about the kind of what I what I experienced with um, uh, that kind of uh, both with gender ideology and religions that offer an afterlife. There's there's so much uh, that's really comforting about both of them, uh, especially if somebody who has gender dysphoria, right? Like like transitioning to the opposite sex is a, is a loophole uh, in the same way that. Um, uh, that religions that oft offer an afterlife um, is a loophole to death, right? Like it's it's very uh, hmm. it, uh, it's very you know seductive in that way. And so when you grow up believing that um, you know that that you are going to heaven, you know you just have to comp continue being a good person, following God's word. Um, uh, 
you know, not, not sinning, or if you do, you know, ask forgiveness. It's like there's, it's very, um, you know, there's things that you do to ensure that you will live forever, right? That, that immortality is an option, hmm. that, that I kind of was raised believing, you know, that, you know, that heaven and hell were very literally real. Um, uh, and so, so when in my early 20s, uh, or yeah, late teens and early 20s, is when I started to realize, you know, this isn't, really literally accurate and i and i had to unpack um hmm. that that uh that christian you know the evangelical christianity and, the, and that concept of an afterlife that i had taken for granted all my life and then okay fast forward 10 years later mm-hmm. i've transitioned right and, I, and i'm very much in lockstep now with this new religion of gender in that you know what uh you, that um you know a certain internal feeling is more you know is more is realer than physical reality um mm-hmm. same same thing with the you know heaven and, and whatnot it's a lot of parallels there but uh, so so to answer your question in a very long way once i realized that i um th- you know th- that i didn't believe it anymore that i didn't believe i was really male like when i you mm. um and i and i had to to kind of re-examine everything that i mm. had casually absorbed i had to re-examine yeah. it from a critical lens doing that um, you know, uh, was much more comfortable, was much easier relative to what I had done previously, right? Like if you, you know, you, you have to critically examine your, your religious upbringing, you have to let go of the idea of immortality, essentially, um, at least in, you know, in my case with, with becoming an atheist, right? It's like, um, uh, that was a much more uncomfortable process to come uh, to interact with, then yeah. okay, I, I'm I'm female, right? And and we don't okay. actually, you know, like the that that process uh, was. So yes, it all happened internally. Um, most of it happened, you know, like reading uh, reading things online, kind of getting a better understanding of how people get into this mind frame, um, hmm. and just kind of comparing and contrasting my experiences uh, with other people's experiences, and realizing that this whole gender identity thing is uh, kind of bullshit. Um, and it just when you compare it to, you know, like uh, again, what I was saying with Sasha and Stella recently is, I, I just assumed everybody's experience was the same as my experience when we talk about trans or gender dysphoria. I assumed it was all one thing, and then the more you interact with it, and the more you experience, you read other people's experiences, it's like, no, this is not one thing. These are very, very different things, and and then so it, that's when I had to kind of go, yeah, it's um, uh, it's not what I believed all along. Um, yeah. So I don't know if that answers your question. But well, there's so many things that you are answering, and more questions to ask. Okay. <laughs> uh, I wanted to share a brief anecdote. Um, I have a friend on Twitter who's trans. She works in the um, entertainment industry in, in Hollywood, um, you know, making movies. Mm-hmm. And there recently was a Dave Chappelle. Uh, the closer uh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. show. And apparently during that, he confronted some of the trans dogma mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, kind of poked at it, hit punched up or down. Who knows? Um, he was busting balls, but who knows whose balls he's talking about when he's going after the transgender ideology. And, that's both up uh, then, and down simultaneously, I feel like. Well, it dep- I guess, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, it depends. It, it's really weird. The whole punching down thing is a whole other conversation. But what um, happened was that this white male trans woman head lead of the Netflix show Dear White People. So this person who pretends to be black or writes scripts for black people and then 
is female identified in the real world uh, denounced male? Chappelle. Male to female. Okay, okay. Um, but this is my point. There's a male to female. Tr- uh, began the gender journey uh, openly. Uh, I think it was last year. Published, you know, the, the, I, I put on a dress, said I am a girl now, and then got a bunch of praise on the internet, which like, <laughs> which has happened. So <laughs> my friend, uh, you know, this person uh, criticized Chappelle, gets written up everywhere, right? Um, and it turns out this person's kind of got two sides to them. Well, one, they're a white person, the lead show of this black um, comedy or whatever lead writer white people is. And then this white male to female uh, writer for a black TV show is like criticizing a black man. Right. So that's weird on the intersectional like uh, firing squad for going (laughs) after trans uh, people. Um, And, what happened was that uh, my friend who works in the movie industries, male to female, uh, watched a bunch of male uh, writers, comedy writers, uh, applaud this Jacqueline person for standing <laughs> up to, uh, to Chappelle or to transphobia because literal all the death that you know, <laughs> was in the wake of transgenocide, um, <laughs> so-called. And they... Uh, the, the person, my friend, spoke to me about how they are absolutely uh, in the thro- uh, in kind of like in this um, chokehold with gender dysphoria for their entire life, and uh, has a really difficult time with their body, and has transitioned to alleviate themselves from this persistent, insistent distress, uh, this weird kind of wiring issue about self perception with regards to their physical body and their physical sex and transition because of that, because of this to, to, to alleviate a negative. And then this, uh, my friend said that this Jacqueline person who criticized Chappelle actually is, has a tattoo on their arm of a, you know, female body with a, with a penis (laughs) sticking out of this underwear and then actually spurting cum on it. Yeah, ejaculating. <laughs> and has this entire, like, second Twitter showing their naked transition. So it's it's this autogynopho- autogynophilia. This, is, th- this person is transitioning for pleasure, whereas my friend, male to female, transitioned to alleviate distress. So even within male to female, there are two major, yeah. two major lines. Uh, and then that... And the whole trans issue is packaged with female to male transition and gender dysphoria. And even that has a number of different manifestations, a number of different uh, forms of gender dysphoria, when it comes on, why it comes on. Um, there's not, uh, in so far as I've seen, there's not um, as strong a sexual component in female to male uh transition though that that i do know that that it's it's wrapped up there but female sexuality and male sexuality are very very different in their intensity and in how they just how they the mechanics of it and how it operates psychologically and physiologically and um so just the trans issue um yeah the gender ideology kind of comes in and erases all of that right yeah 
Yep. Yeah, and that's what that's what we were doing with Gender Dysphoria Alliance is the whole point is to is to do away with that umbrella that hides all of those details uh mm-hmm. underneath it and, and just kind of explode what's 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 uh you know resides underneath. Um I do wanna like what you're talking about with that uh that Jacqueline person. I, I wasn't aware that that she was like uh criticizing the you know Dave Chappelle or, or the special, but I have seen that image floating around all over Twitter of that stupid tattoo. But I do want to um uh because it's not even as simple as people who have severe distress about their sex body and autogynophiles because I, I know okay. you've interviewed James Shoup, and that's somebody who has a severe case of autogynophilia that also manifests as severe distress at his actual physical body, right? Like So okay. autogynophilia oftentimes yeah. does include what we would call just – clinical um uh, sex dysphoria right like um uh, usually it doesn't start that way uh it becomes you know you've got the sexual obsession with uh having a female body or or female physiology or or even just cross-dressing or whatever and it usually just um advances to such a degree that that anything that is you know existing in your body that it contradicts that fantasy becomes a sense of a source of dysphoria um Mm -hmm. so i think Oftentimes, with uh, with the the male to female transitioners, autogynephilia is more often than not the driving force, and it and it does it does create um, it can often create uh, quite severe um, dysphoria. Yes. Um, but I think in uh, in with female to male transitioners, you're absolutely right. I think it's virtually never sexually motivated. Where I think regardless of the type, um, it's it's virtually always sexually motivated. I I think. Uh, in, in male to female transitioners and virtually never sexually motivated in, in female to male. It seems on the female to male side, uh, yeah. it's socially m- more often than not socially motivated, or if it is sexually motivated, something that I've noticed is a very tragic trend that I'm sure you've picked up on, on all the people that you've interviewed is oftentimes female to male transitioners literally transition to avoid sexualization, right? It's like, it's like D, you know, uh, putting on a facade of male, like desexualizes yeah. them. Right. Yes. And so yes. that that has an appeal, whereas a lot of the male to female transitioners, it's more like wanting to absorb this, this, you know, wanting to basically uh, put on this 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 sexy costume. Uh, mm. is, so it, it, it almost seems like completely uh, opposite uh, yeah. uh, uh, motivations in a lot of ways. The feminist tendency to um, stigmatize the sexual impulse in males covers up uh, some of the nuance in mm-hmm. that. And, and mm-hmm. for good reason, because the uh, sexual impulse in males has caused a lot of distress for females. And uh, some people within the feminist community are there specifically um, because of the trauma that they have received due to the sexualization or the sexual abuse or the abuse that yep. motivated uh, sexual by males. That's not to say that male sexuality isn't dangerous and dark um, and chthonic, uh, but looking at it more clinically or kind of understanding it kind of just as a fact of life gives way to a little bit more understanding, a little bit more compassion, Mm -hmm. and then perhaps a little bit more moral um, certainty in how to correct the problem, how to confront the problem, how to how to uh, deal with the problem. But with regards to the female to male um, transition, you're, you're very correct that I've seen 
I, and Herzog, Katie Herzog's written about this, and you see this a lot more and more, that the lesbian community is really vanishing, especially the butch uh, mm-hmm. community in, in the, or the, the butch, I, is that a community? I, I don't mean community, the butch demographic within the, <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it, it is eroding. And, and yeah. um, did that influence you? Was it a social impact for you? Um, and was it? How did the the personal and the social um, influence how you decided to go about um, dealing with your gender dysphoria? So, so my my gender dysphoria was um, um, it was it was much more uh, more bodily and personal. There was definitely a social element uh, with being being uh, externally um, responded to as if I were a woman was very uncomfortable to me, but it wasn't nearly as uncomfortable as, as, as my actual sexed body was like, um, mm. and, and not, not in a, in a, uh, not, not for us in sexual ways, but I mean like, yeah. but, but just even like, you know, alone like this for it like for a lot of people dysphoria is about uh how they're interpreted by you know the the, the culture around them that was a less a less motivate was a lesser motivator for me um in that in that my body just se- seemed seemed wrong and grotesque whether i was alone or other people were uh you know were, were reflecting it back at me hmm. um so, so for me, also another, uh, I'm, I'm a bit of an outlier in that I wasn't a lesbian prior to transitioning. I was only attracted to men uh, prior to transitioning, but it was always, it was always, um, uh, the, the feeling of envy and attraction was, was the same, the same feeling for me. Um, but when I transitioned, uh, so this was 10, 2011, uh, so about 10 years ago. Yeah. It's hard to explain because, um, hmm. I, 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 thought that when I transitioned, I would technically be a gay man. Like that's how I envisioned it. But I also knew that no gay men would want to sleep with me. So it wasn't like I was, hmm. I was transitioning to become, it was more like, um, well, this is just huh. what I'll be because, uh, you know, once I transition, I will be a man. Like, remember, this is how I, you know, was, vi- was uh, conceptualizing it. And then I was attracted to men and I was assumed I would continue to be, um, attracted to, to men, right? Like you heard stories, I, I had read plenty that a lot of lesbians who transitioned, their sexual orientation shifted with the with the uh, with the addition of testosterone to become attracted to men. Uh, and I thought that was really interesting. It's like, well, I'm already attracted to men, so that's not going to happen to me. Uh, but what happened was the exact opposite: is suddenly testosterone in my system and women were everywhere and they were gorgeous and like my my like the sexuality shifted in that in that direction um Hmm. but uh but yeah so i'm an outlier in a few ways i wasn't a lesbian before my sexuality shifted in the opposite direction it normally does and Hmm. um also uh uh, it wasn't my my bodily discomfort was much more it it was a much greater source of discomfort than uh than like the social um uh, you know, being being regarded uh, in a in a in a female way was uncomfortable, but it's more like it just exacerbated what I already knew to be true about my body. Um, mm. But that's one thing that I find interesting about the feminist perspective on on male sexuality and whatnot, and this kind of radical feminist notion that that apparently uh, male sexuality is just unbridled same as female sexuality it's just men are just uh you know failed women like they're basically uh just hmm. they, they 
you see a lot of the, that, this kind of uh, radical feminist notion that, that human beings are just sort of blank slates and men are just kind of societally programmed to behave in sexually aggressive ways and that's just yeah. a societal failure and they're just too weak to you know behave as 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 wholly as as women do um uh that's that's something that i take an issue with because like in in a lot of uh uh um, sometimes a lot of the radical feminists are actually ex-trans men. You know, a lot of people who detransition. Um, so I'm going in a completely different direction here, but I feel like the, the, everywhere. The, there's a, a connection here. Is uh, it, well, that one that that is fascinating to me is a lot of the radical feminists are have are are, are desisted or detransitioned trans men, right? Like they went down the gender route, they transitioned to some degree, and then um, you know have 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 that didn't work for them and and they've launched on they've grabbed onto radical feminism and I can totally understand you know how you get there like I can understand the trajectory um but what I can't understand is having lived with male levels of testosterone in your body and still thinking still thinking of the sexes in a in a blank slate kind of uh you know kind of kind of framework that that I don't understand yeah. like the the straight up feminists who you know uh who, who never never went down the gender path or or, or took cross sex hormones i can totally understand why they they don't understand uh uh you know the very fundamental biological difference between uh males and females when it comes to to, to sex and aggression and whatnot um but yeah, like I, I got a lot more empathy for men, let's say, uh, once mm. I yeah, once I was on male levels of testosterone. Well, were there like a kind of a reprogramming of your ethic or the need for manly virtues, uh, as they're say, not to say that um, women don't have these things or shouldn't uh, do these things, but with the amperage on the sexual level go up did you have to kind of think more consciously about being uh, having self-control think more consciously about how you behaved was that kind of something you had to uh, figure out how to do or were you already pretty set and uh, knowing how to be a holy person and uh, <laughs> not drool when a woman walks by <laughs> yeah yeah uh, there's there's a lot to be said i mean i was never like um sexually harassed or anything uh like mm. that i never had like a real like negative um uh, i was never on the receiving end of a negative kind of uh, uh negative sexual attention from men right it wasn't really a big problem in my life but um i could definitely understand um you know i i've got I've, i don't know if it's so much of is is um you know just just females having more empathy in general like it's kind of mm. in in our uh, in our brain i think is is um uh, evolutionarily development okay. i think it's obviously empathy is much more use you know it, it has uh empathy in males is it can be quite counter counterproductive as far as you know hunting and warring and ch like things like that when we're talking evolutionarily speaking so i think just naturally women tend to be generally speaking more empathetic and so so even when you do add maybe uh, you know more male levels of, of um, sexual interest or or um, um, just yeah just just heighten you know like that that kind of there's there's a there's a there's there's things I felt physically after taking testosterone like I felt anger physically you know I um, I didn't have control over my um, uh, obviously I definitely had control over my actions one hundred percent. I always have control over my actions, but I mean, but like my sexual responses to, to, to visual stimuli. stimuli. Yeah, yeah. Like it's, it's, um, and a lot part it's, um, uh, whereas with, with 
women, it's mo- your the sexual uh, how sexuality works is much more intentional. I think, whereas it's much more uh, it's 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 involuntary at a lot of times. Uh, uh, male response to sexual stimuli, obviously not actions. Everybody has control of their actions. You know, yes. like yes. just to make sure yeah. uh, uh, people are understanding what I'm saying here. Um, uh, uh, but but as far as no, I don't think that I had to put any structures in place to um, like like to keep myself like cause I, um, yeah, I don't know how uh, okay how, how, to same kind of question, but just uh, reoriented. What were some of the things that you missed or that were taken away from you that you didn't expect with regards to some sort of um, i've I've heard. From speaking to um, male to female detransitioners that going on the estrogen has had expanded their emotional palate. They could feel more and more deeply. Uh, was that taken away from you? Was your emotions kind of squelched into horniness and anger? You still had that. Uh... So, no, I definitely do. definitely still had a complete range of emotions. I was also uh, put on, on uh, half the dose of male uh, of, of testosterone for the first okay. six years and then that was oh. only only doubled uh, yeah about uh, five years ago four years ago um so i do wonder if i had, I had a kind of like a slower inundation than than many yeah. do like hearing helena's story like that's like the, the the emotional uh just just shit storm that was applied to her uh mm. i didn't i didn't deal with anything uh, remotely near that the, um mm. my anger anger is easier yeah anger seems to come more uh you know, a lot of things are, I guess, funneled into anger, but I, mm. but I, I feel mm. like I still have the same range of emotions. Um, uh, I became a crier, which is again different than most people. Oh, yeah, like, okay. yeah, huh. yeah, I, w- I wasn't a crier before, but now I cry okay. fairly easily, um, which is again kind of the opposite of what people would think. Um, yeah, I don't feel like my my emotions changed that much. Um, or, or how I access them or how, like, I've never, I've always been a pretty stoic person. Um, okay. I'm pretty, yeah. you know, I was, my friends joked and called me a robot all the time. Like I just wasn't not very emotionally mm. expressive or, I mean, I, I feel things very deeply, but, uh, I just don't express much. And, and that, yeah. and that really didn't change, I guess, other than crying at sentimental stuff now, which again is bizarre. Hallmark commercials. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you... With regards to um, interfacing with the medical establishment, did you um, receive, uh, do you think that you received good psychological um, input and not oversight, but guidance or counseling in this? Did you need that? Um, Some people that I've seen haven't gotten that correctly, especially the the detransitioners I've seen. It seems to be like there's some sort of misdiagnosis. Did you need much uh, counseling uh, in this uh, or previous to actually diving into medical transition? I think I think I did. I mean, I think we all do. I didn't get any Hmm. at all, though. I mean, like, so... I just told I was 27 years old. I didn't own have a history of, of any mental health comorbidities. Comorbidities. I told my doctor uh, that um, 
uh, once I learned, you know, I learned about most of transition and whatnot online, you know, as you do. And uh, I realized that uh, what I'd always felt on my life was called gender dysphoria. And so I could go to my doctor and say, hey, I've got uh, uh, gender dysphoria. I want to transition to be a man. And uh, she was just like, um, well, you know, normally you would need six months of therapy, but I think you know what you're talking about. Uh, so I'm going to refer you to an endocrinologist um, in Seattle who doesn't require a, um, a letter from a therapist to start cross-sex hormones. I was like, cool. So a few weeks later, I had my appointment with that endocrinologist, um, and he's like, I don't know why she told you I don't need a, a letter from a therapist. I definitely do, but, you know, let's just have a conversation. And within 15 minutes, he had written me a prescription for testosterone. Um, so... I never had any therapy whatsoever, um, and yeah, and I, I, I maintained until about three years ago when I kind of, uh, kind of, you know, deprogrammed myself from the whole gender ideology stuff. Um, hmm. I, I, I maintained that that therapy wasn't necessary for me because I knew I knew what what I'd always felt, and I knew that transition fixed it. And while that is entirely true, I, I had gender okay. dysphoria, as long as I can remember, transition fixed it. Like, it, th that's, it was, it was a resounding success, but... Really? Yes, yeah, yeah. Okay. But retrospect, like, looking back, um, first, you know, the, just the first response being to alter a healthy person in the direction of the opposite sex, because they have a mental turmoil about, I mean, you want to figure out where that mental turmoil is coming from, right? Like that should be, you know, it's like, we just take it for granted. It's like, oh, you have gender dysphoria. This is how we treat gender dysphoria. Um, yeah. And no matter how mentally sound the person presenting with gender dysphoria is, I, I still don't think we should just go, okay, well, cross this hormones, you know, surgeries. Um, it, it just seems wildly irresponsible. Again, it took me a long time to come to this conclusion because it did work so well for me. It's only like hearing these, you know, the experiences of other people and going, oh, wow, you were, yeah. you were catastrophically failed. Um, and, and then seeing all these people who are transitioning despite not having any test or any, any dysphoria whatsoever. And just comparing all these experiences and realizing we're just yeah. And then, like again, like you're talking about the the very different the, the extreme difference between the male experience of this and the female experience of this, and and just just doing a, a you know a um, one only solution. Um, hmm. Yeah, we, we're we're about ready to to uh, uncover a, a massive of um, medical ethics violations. But yeah, we'll see what happens with that. But could you? If you're not tired of speaking with this, if you have speaking about this, how do you know that it fixed it? Like, what are some of the things that do you, do you have a diary or like in your head, like just looking back on your life? Like, how did it work positively for you? That's a, that's a great question. No, I haven't spoken about this. That's a, oh. uh, that's a really good question. Um, so when I say worked is that it relieved that distress. Like I was constantly uncomfortable in my body. Um, uh like like having breasts was was um the only way i can describe it is like say if you broke your finger or something it's not physically painful but you know you've got a bone sticking out of your hand in the wrong direction it's like it makes you feel nauseous like it's it, um, it's just so disgusting and just seems so like again even if it isn't causing physical pain it's like mm. ah i have to fix this this is not my hand should not look like this um that's how i felt about my chest right um so again it seems Mm -hmm. I've heard similar with uh, male uh, and hair, like hair growth. Oh, like okay. This very, like this shouldn't be happening. Like okay. this weird kind of alien thing happening to them. Where they, 
they can feel that. Um, okay. So I don't know if that's similar or not. That makes sense. I mean, yeah, I, I don't. I, I can imagine that's that would be a similar similar thing. Um, I was going to say when I started growing hair, I was like, yeah, but you know, that's again going in a different direction. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, so I guess that's what I mean by by it fixed. It is like is like I no longer have that distress uh, at my body. Like I mean, there's still a bit. Um, but but I, I can I can compartmentalize and deal with it uh, quite easily. Um, so like like the sound of my voice being high, um, uh, just all these things that that hmm. to my mm-hmm. brain was wrong and that my, my voice shouldn't be, <laughs> you know, like um, there were all these things that again it happened it was it, it was that that didn't go away when I left. Um, it wasn't like a social anxiety thing because it it. I mean, it probably was. It probably it could be that the, the source of that, and then you internalize it to be to be a problem with your body, which again, your body is inescapable. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a whole lot of ways that we can unpack how dysphoria, you know, manif- or how it begins, um, uh, you know, the, those initial causes. Um, but what I say it's a success is that is that I'm very comfortable in my body now, even though mm-hmm. I've deprogrammed like the whole like, no, my brain isn't male. I don't believe that. Um, I'm very much just a female who has gender dysphoria, and altering my mm-hmm. body in this direction has helped immensely. Um, so, is it more? more valid than somebody who had like a really, you know, big nose that they were uncomfortable with and had a nose job and that made them feel better about their appearance. Um, it could very much be the exact same thing. It could all be mm. very, um, you know, a certain level of vanity. Cosmetic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and, uh, insecurity. I don't, I don't know for sure. I just know that, okay. that it 100%, uh, resolved it. So, or 95% weird. resolved it. Perhaps a weird question, but, um, women's hips are different than men and that affects how they walk. Did you ever had, did you, was that the way that you walked itself a source of dysphoria and did you have to relearn how to like, just like, okay. No, I no. I just want no. to know because breast <laughs> breast seems uh, like one thing, but like the hips are another, but I mean, I, I, I have fairly narrow hips for, a, no, for a, like for, for female. I didn't really, um, I, I definitely have much, there are certain things where people talk about, you know, just they've got hip dysphoria or ass dysphoria. What that means is is something about their body that kind of makes them clockable to the outside world. That never bothered me. Like there are okay. things like I've made this like I have tiny hands, you know, for even for a you know I'm I'm five six, you know, like for a, for a female of my stature, I still have ridiculously small hands. That that anybody pays too much attention to automatically, you know, outs me, you know, but uh, or not automatically, but it's very likely. But that's not dysphoria. Like I don't look at my hand and go, "This shouldn't be here. This is wrong." Like I did about other elements of my sex body, right? Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure if that answers the question, but like it's not. It's not like there's. It's not like there's certain things that I see. Oh, only, you know, this is, um, you know, only women walk like this, or men don't. Yeah, I, get, uh, I never got really hung up on that kind of stuff, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And so when you began, the physical transformations uh, just kind of took away that, where you, you're like, oh, I, I don't have to think about that so much anymore. Yeah. Or what opened up um, in your, let's, let's pretend the brain's a computer, male okay. computer, female computer, let's just de-sex it for this now. And gender dysphoria is running in the background uh-huh. A lot uh, uh-huh. in distress, and it's it's taking up a lot of your clock cycles. With that gone, what opened up to you? Um, what did you end up uh, doing with that extra uh, emotional brain investment? Space? 
Yeah, yeah. And the, li- the emotional labor or the brain. That is also a very good question that I've not considered. That's exactly what happens, though. It's, it's like, yeah, you're, you're, you're obsessive, this, this kind of fixated dysphoria thing that, that goes away. Um, but I don't know. <laughs> I don't recall. What did I? <sighs> I went back to school. Uh, oh, okay. I got, I, yeah, I, I got a bachelor's What did you end degree. up studying? Uh, geography and social studies. Um, okay. So big emphasis on, on history and sociology. I did a minor in geographic information systems as well, which I haven't used at all since, but that was the most you know, financially useful and therefore okay. uh, what, I, what I put a lot, most of my time in school to. But then, um, but yeah, my uh, minor is uh, uh, geography and social studies, which again had a, a you know, big emphasis on history and sociology, which I find myself kind of... Um, relying on now when i'm looking at the whole uh uh gender situation that we're in now is kind of you know looking at it with a a from a historical lens of what the, what is this going to look like uh you know in, in in a generation when we're looking back on this um hmm. uh, is the lens i can't help but look at this on and then also with regards to the the the, the demographic seeking transition um things like that i feel like that that whole kind of uh sociology framework has, has so these two things that i i kind of did because i was interested in them and i found that they were useful and i was go, attempting to go in a direction of urban planning never did um well, but you yeah, never these, know you <laughs> might know. end up designing some urban yeah. thing <laughs> <laughs> might happen uh yeah but it's funny because i find these kind of like um uh what, what i took for granted like took at the time is like these um uh, uh kind of humanities uh uh, yeah. indulgences that I was just interested in and are, are kind of serving me well, I feel like now with looking at this, but that, the, as far as answering the question, I, again, it was one thing that I was not consciously aware of, like the, the relief from gender dysphoria is exactly what you described. It's like somehow, like you suddenly have this, this extra brain space. Um, but I, I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't consciously, uh, yeah, I wasn't conscious of that, uh, or doing anything with that. Um, but yeah, it's hmm. a very good point. Yeah. You said uh, historical lens. There's this, uh, I think I might be strawmanning this a lot, but um, I haven't heard it a lot recently, but there is this kind of progressive uh, or hard progressive concept of being on the right side of history. That can be a historical lens of one make. What Could you define or um, expand on what you mean by historical lens? How do you, how does it operate for you? Well, I can't help but look at this current moment as if as if we're removed by time, um, uh, as if or as if I'm removed by time. Like, um, so um, I, I spend a lot of time talking about my own experience with this whole gender stuff because I feel like it's useful to to talk about it in order to kind of you know my my bona fides, if you will, you know, like my uh, this is my lane. Uh, but I feel like my own personal experience with gender dysphoria is the least interesting uh, of all of this. What's most interesting is kind of is 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 societally what's happening right now. Um, and and I do I see I see physical transition as like this 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 cultural moment that we're in that we're going to okay. look back on with with much more horror than we look back on eugenics or lobotomies or um, uh, things like that. I think with with what we know scientifically um, and 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 just where where we are with medicine, the fact that we're taking healthy people, healthy bodies, and and altering them to cosmetically appear as the opposite sex, it's just Frankensteining bizarre stuff. 
Um, and, and like, so for a lot of us, it works. Like for me, like we talked about, it relieved that distress that I was feeling. Um, but, but it's just, I, I feel like this is a very, very strange and dark moment in, um, uh, in Western history. Okay, I have a question about that, but I want to go back and then we can go forward again. Sure, um, sure. <laughs> we talked about the benefit of uh, resolving your uh, distress, your dysphoria. What about the costs? And if you don't want to talk about those in too much detail, you don't have to, but is there a cost-benefit analysis that you have to do? Because <laughs> testosterone is pretty strong stuff. Yeah. And then how do you, how do you plan ahead for that? And is the medical uh, community helping you? to be, uh, you know, to inform you about this and help you watch over your body, um, to manage that. Um, so, so no, I mean, um, I feel like most, most doctors who are treating, um, uh, who are treating gender dysphoria with physical transition, um, are doing so basically, um, um, on pain of their career, right? You know, it's kind of like uh, something they have to do in order to keep their job. But but a lot of them aren't actually um, uh, learning, uh, uh, you know, the research as far as what cross-sex hormones do to a body, uh, these, these kind of uh, invasive surgeries, you know, orchiectomies and uh, vaginal vaginoplasties and uh, phalloplasties and uh, yeah. you know hysterectomies on on unhealthy people and stuff like that. It's yeah. like I, I feel like the medical industry they aren't looking too closely at these questions and they aren't therefore educating us as to what to look out for health wise because I think it's going to be bad news, right? And so, but if you mm. if you start asking these questions or drilling too deeply into into what what that cost is uh, to the body, well, that's just transphobia. Only a transphobe would wonder what kind of harm, you know, cross-sex hormones do to a person long-term, yada, yada. And so, so I feel like they're all gripped uh, in, this, in this weird space where they both can't educate themselves or their patients, uh, but they have to continue prescribing and treating. Um, it's, it's very, another reason why I say it's just really dark and kind of uh, crazy that we're here. Um, but as far as, as far as personal, uh, um, uh, negative. Uh, so, so I have not had a hysterectomy, right? Like, so because, because I'm torn here, it's like, okay, so I have a hysterectomy who knows what kind of, you know, I hear people cause I'm, I'm 37 years old, right? Like I'm not, uh, I'm definitely not young, but I'm also, uh, 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 certainly, uh, too young to have an elective hysterectomy. It seems like, you know, they're, they're, they're you know, um, Hmm. How do I phrase this? My body right now, if I were to cease and desist my transition uh, efforts, my body, uh, I think, would just pick back up as it's naturally supposed to, right? I, I can produce, you know, the, the, the hormones necessary to sustain myself uh, uh, because I have those, uh, you know, that, that internal, uh, uh, the internal mechanism, right? Uh, yeah. uh, so, you know, we can say that the 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 changes I've done to myself so far are, are basically cosmetic. There's, there's certainly much more than cosmetic. Um, but you know what I mean? Like, um, I, I can, so again, like I haven't had a hysterectomy, but that is, that is the, the, the dilemma, right? It's like, I also am putting male levels of testosterone into my body, which is wreaking havoc on my, uh, on, on my, um, you know, uh, uh, endocrine system, endocrine as system, a whole, or specifically the. Uh, I, I'm thinking more so like gynecologic functions, like the. Okay. Uh, um, Thank you. Yeah. Um, so so organs that I still have that are um, uh, you know need besieged estrogen. Besieged by. Yes, yeah. besieged by foreign hormones, <laughs> right? You know, it's like it's, it's so. 
so they say, you know, you're supposed to have a have a hysterectomy within five years of being on yeah. testosterone, right? I'm at ten yeah. years now. I know others who have been who've gone twenty, thirty years and have been okay. Um, uh, so, but again, like, what what sample size do we have? It's very very small yeah. sample size. We've only been doing this in record numbers for the last twenty years or so. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, there's the there's the gynecological system, but there's also the cardiovascular system yeah. that is uh, being stressed. And uh, there's just a lot of different things. Uh-huh. I, the question is, are people, is there somebody dedicated or a system dedicated to just watch you and, and be prepared um, and preparing you or, or developing drugs that might um, forestall or, or pick up if there's some sort of bone problem or something like that? No. Um, okay. Hmm. No, no. I, um, I've, my, my, my so it's kind of a one-way street then, so far as the medical uh, industry is concerned, for you right now. Just like, okay, just put them on, put them on the yeah, female to male or male to female. There you go. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah. I mean, they, they monitor my blood, uh, you know, my um, my blood levels and whatnot. Um, make sure there's but no just for hormones on. or other other things. Liver function, things like that. Okay. Uh, okay. Liver, kidney function. Um, uh, yeah. Um, uh, white blood cell count, um, just just those those kind of um, yeah I basic I, vitals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. Um, that's that's about it. Like because I know in Canada it seems to be a much more holistic process where there is some sort of like uh, like a trajectory, like a uh, like, like a, a medical uh, infrastructure around it. I, I could be wrong in this because I know a lot of the surgeries are done here because. Anyway, um, but, uh, but no, for me, it's like, I went and saw one doctor. I've had three different GPs since I started just because they've left the practice moved, you know, like I've stayed at the same, the same practice, uh, but my doctor has, has shifted and, um, every single one of them was like, you're my only transgender patient. So you just let me know what you need and I'll make it happen. Um, so it's, yeah, it's not, it's not like, um, uh, Mm. and then, so I, I saw an endocrinologist, uh, in Seattle, uh, but that became a pain in the ass. Like I was having to go down to, you know, yeah. like it, it's drive and right. Yeah. yeah. So I, uh, uh, then like this later iteration of my, my doctor at my, uh, uh, my G- GP has, uh, basically said, Oh, you don't need to see a specialist. Uh, and I can prescribe you, uh, your testosterone. So just, mm. you know, come, you know, regularly we'll check your blood and I'll just keep writing the prescription. So that's, that's about where it's at. It's like, as long as there's nothing alarming coming up in my, my, uh, my blood okay. tests, then it's just, yeah. they could keep. And like the, the, when I had top surgery, that was through a, um, uh, just a plastic surgeon again in, in Seattle, um, which I paid for out of pocket. It's not like my okay. doctor, it wasn't like a referral or anything. It's very much kind of like, well, you're the trans person. You tell us what you want and we'll make it happen. Uh, okay. it isn't like a team overseeing anything. Okay. This is, this is uh, laying groundwork for my other, my other line of inquiry, but yeah. just one thing on the, uh, mastectomy. That's just a, well, I was going to say one and done, but there's usually two of them. They just go away. There's no, <laughs> There's no, uh, <laughs> yep, yep. There's no, um, I, I, other than the healing and scarring, th- yep. that's the only, which is just again a cosmetic issue that a healthy body will take Deal care with. of. There's no, yeah, yeah, yeah it okay. was a very, it was very simple, honestly. It was like an hour and a half surgery. Um, hmm. uh, I, yeah, uh, I was on pain medication, 
like I only took the prescription pain meds the first day. Next day oh. I was on Tylenol. Yeah, I really. Was, I, I went out to okay. lunch the next day. Like it was, it was remarkably easy that surgery. Um, uh, hmm. Obviously, I had to like you know I had to have like the compression uh, bandages on for a couple of weeks. Um, yeah. But uh, but as far hmm. as like healing and goes, it was. I mean, I, I'd done a lot of research and other people's experiences and how. Uh, but I mean. I was hit up by a car on my bike a few months later, and let me tell you, that was astronomically more painful and took a lot well, more to recover okay. from. But um, yeah, uh, okay. but yeah, that that surgery uh, honestly was uh, yeah one one of those things. When when you talk about uh, regret, it may may come down the line when I, I regret uh, putting you know process hormones in my body, depending on what havoc that wreaks later on down the road. But I I was so relieved uh, at the at okay. the, the mastectomy portion of it. It was just like yeah. How I, long yeah. did the relief uh, take? to kick in oh instantaneously um once i huh. well, once i could take the bandages off right like because um but uh, i remember waking up and just hearing the surgeon uh the, the nurse there the first thing i heard was uh you have a handsome male chest now and i, I kept i had so much uh, uh so much anxiety going into it um uh the surgery i'd never been under before um uh under general anesthetic and so i was really like anxiety about oh it's not gonna the anesthesia is not gonna work and i'm gonna you know be in agonizing pain and not be able to tell anybody like these crazy surgery phobias because i'd never never had a, hmm. a surgery before but um uh, uh or that maybe too much anesthesia and i would die like just crazy anxiety about surgery i've never never had never had one still haven't had another one but um uh, but i was basically willing to risk anything you know to uh, uh to, to to get the, to get the, the the job done and get those off of me and yeah i have never looked back that was uh that it brought more relief than i even anticipated um like there's a certain level of, of kind of discomfort that i i found was like just always like you're talking about the running on the background it was like just uh, that that kind of sense of, of just discomfort in my body uh, almost seemed um, just kind of like who I was. And then once once I had that uh, after the the mastectomy, um, I assumed I would have like this euphoria, but it wasn't even euphoria. It was just absolute contentment and just like a, a relaxation uh, that that I you know hadn't uh, hadn't foreseen mm. possible. Um, so yeah, uh, I can be all gender critical and like we can't Frankenstein these bodies, but it's like I, <laughs> the reality is is that was a massive success as far as my my, my mental uh, well being so, goes. Did that particular distress begin at the budding of your chest? Is that when it began? So it was uh, if we do the calculations, I don't know when you had that surgery, but like so it's thirty years or tw twenty five years or something like that. Uh, um, I, 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 when did I, it kick in? I encountered puberty quite late. Um, uh, I was so I, I don't think I was developing until I was about 14 years old, um, and and at first at, at first um, I don't actually have a lot of memories from that from that period other than from your teen times. Yeah, other than um, than imagining that that uh, jet, that that going through puberty and developing would turn me into a woman. Like I assumed it would take away that. Uh, what I saw is like this childish feeling that I was supposed to be a boy. I saw puberty as resolving that, and so initially, I think I was quite happy about it. I don't, I don't even remember I, I, uh, my mental state then. Okay. Um, but by the time I was in, you know, like late teens, it was very much like, like I would give anything to have a flat chest. Um, and it wasn't even I wasn't getting negative. A, a lot of people uh, like uh, uh, I know uh, Sinead Watson talks about this a lot. It's just like the 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 attention that developing breasts. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That was never uh, never an issue for me. Uh, I didn't. Um, uh, uh, it, it, it wasn't. 
it was always very, very internal for me. It was very much like this just shouldn't be. It, it had nothing to do with um, with ex- well, what was happening, what was reflected back at me, I guess. So I, I was going to ask about that and if you can uh, flesh this out or not, if your memory goes back this far. But growing up in an evangelical Christian uh, environment, uh-huh. there's pretty strong expectations or roles for the sexes. Is there not? Or in the Pacific Northwest and your brand, it wasn't uh, front and center? Uh, no, no. So there, there was a, a wiggle room for gender nonconformity in, in your... Well, okay, so I was a total tomboy growing up, but there were very strict, uh, but it was very much like you will grow up to be a wife and a mother. And um, like, so, um, hmm. uh, uh, you know, I was, I was basically, um, I was homeschooled, right? I was homeschooled. My only real socialization was uh, at Sunday school um, or other homeschooled kids. Um, How big was your uh, basic uh, social circle then? Like 20, 30, 50, very small? Very, very small. Yeah, mostly my immediate family or my... Um, you know, cousins and uh, and and uh, hmm. certain other very very backwoodsy uh, Christian uh, okay. uh, folks um, yeah. who are also homeschooled, and uh, it was very much like I I would. Um, uh, so so again, I, I was I was played with the boys. I was out running around in the woods, building forts. You know. Um, Plan gunfighter, you know that was my upbringing, and that was okay. Except like, um, there were things that I would do. So apparently, like the being the tomboy thing, that wasn't a problem. But there were certain things that I did where I seemed to kind of express that I really thought I was a boy. That would would conjure these conversations with my mom, mostly saying, "No, you're hmm. a girl. Girls do this. Girls behave this way. You wear this." Like she's trying to get me to wear dresses and stuff that I uh, yeah. avoided, like the plague, and um, hmm. had to for church and stuff like that. But um, so I, I wasn't that I was. I was definitely allowed to be a tomboy. I was allowed to be like rough and you know in my play and be out with the boys and stuff. It was just that there was this constant nagging. But you're really a girl, and you really should be kind of gearing up to be, um, you know, a homemaker. You know, most of my, not most of my, but a good chunk of my, uh, my homeschool education was around home ec and and stuff like that. I remember having this book that was written by a woman, uh, but the the author of the book was Mrs. and then her husband's last name. So like she wrote the book, but the it was the author was Mrs. Gregory something. Like it was the husband's name. <laughs> it was, okay. Yeah. And I just remember uh, just being alarmed by that at a very young age. But um. Uh, at just the the the, uh, the injustice of it, I guess. Um, but on top of obviously not wanting to be a, a wife and a homemaker. But I think there were um, so so again. I, I talked about this recently with with Sasha and Stella. Is like I, I wonder if my uh, my internal opposition to that whole wife mother kind of strict uh, girls behave this way kind of kind of construct. And seeing that boys had a freedom that I felt like I should have as well. Um, so I'm wondering. If, if that's if that developed the sex dysphoria, um, I, I I can't say for sure. I don't um, I I don't know. Um, I just know that um, yeah. So uh, I remember being excited about puberty. It did, took forever to arrive. So I assumed that because it wasn't arriving, that I was really a boy all along. Like there was a mis- there was literally a mistake because you know yeah. uh, I should have already you know started you know had a period and started developing and whatnot. But anyway, it did happen when I was about fourteen. Um, 
I remember being, you know, like, I remember thinking that was the solution that was going to make me feel like I was a real girl. Didn't happen. Uh, but then, so I don't remember what I was feeling about my body. I just remember uh, sometime when I was about 15 or 16, somebody in the church, a woman in the church was diagnosed with breast cancer and had to have a double mastectomy. And I remember thinking, oh my God, I wish that were me. Like, I remember feeling uh, 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 so, en- like, I, I was envious that she was going to have a double mastectomy. I wanted nothing okay. more in the world. Um, but then I also felt really guilty that. You know, this woman was having, you know, had this this uh, really uh, a horrible diagnosis, and and um, but but my my actual feeling was was envy, and then I kind of became obsessed with the idea of developing uh, breast cancer, um, because yeah, <laughs> yeah wow. it was uh, yeah yeah because yeah. I thought. I even thought, like, oh, if I did, it would, you know, it's possible that, you know, I could die even after, um, you know, having the double mastectomy because that happens. But I thought, you know, it's a risk. I'm willing. It's, it's obviously absolutely batshit because you can't elect to have cancer. And even if you could, what the fuck was I thinking? But, you know, you like, walk my- into Chernobyl if you want. <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, but yeah, that's remember my my thought process as a teenager. Um, but then by the time I was in my early twenties, I had mostly kind of it was something that I could compartmentalize, like my bodily discomfort, okay. my discomfort with being um, like perceived as a woman. Um, it was it was very uncomfortable for me, but I was able to compartmentalize it um, and kind of get on uh, until. Until I encountered the idea of test of, of transitioning, and then it um, it had very much like the the rapid onset where it where it was obsessive and and there was um, okay I, there was yeah that was all I could think about once once that was um, an option yeah an option <clears throat> if okay I'm gonna try to phrase this correctly I've never asked this question before so I might have to restate it but to what percentile of certainty would the medical establishment have to have to transition a 12-year-old in your case? If they were uh, 75% certain that you would end up uh, wanting a mastectomy and wanting to transition, if they could diagnose you at 12 with a brain scan or some sort of weird thing, or 99%, is there a percentile where it would be okay or would uh, for you at twelve or fourteen uh, to be put on blockers and and uh, your puberty uh, redirected? No, I don't. I don't think that there's ever um, uh, a justification for that. I think I think wherever possible, a child should be um, uh, um, uh, allowed to to out to give given the option, the ability, the the, the opportunity. To outgrow it, I think. Um, hmm. um, yeah, I, because so what I keep going back to with this question is like even even in cases where where transition one hundred percent resolved the person's distress um, at their body was was completely resolved with transition. Um, if you were to do that to a child, they would never know that 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 was necessary. So we, we do know that these surgeries and that these hormones kind of wreak unnecessary havoc on, on a healthy body. You know, it's, you, we are, um, uh, uh, there's a cost and a benefit and right. the, ben- the cost is being overlooked or and the cost is being, up, yeah, it's completely. Yeah. Um, but, but what I, I guess, uh, so if, if you take a 12 year old, 13 year old, 14 year old, and and you transition them and and you know they're gung ho they're like yes you know everybody's on board the doctors the parents the kid um, but at 12 13 14 you absolutely have no idea 
um, who you going to be when you grow up. Uh, and it's, it's a, like a, a social engineering is occurring, uh, when, when we step in and, and okay. halt or alter, um, okay. So, so, okay. My answer is philosophically, absolutely not. We, um, because that kid is going to grow up and go, was this necessary? Could I be a fully whole healthy, um, version of my natal sex, right? Like there's, there's no way that you wouldn't ask that question. Even if it was a success, you would not know, right, that, 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 that it was necessary. You could have outgrown it. Especially the, the reality is is most of these kids that were stepping in and halting the puberty of are gay boys. Like kids who the actual act of puberty typically resolves that feeling. Um, uh, and, and so we're, we're stepping in and, and basically uh, removing that actual natural mechanism that would resolve the distress in the first place um people are rarely very rarely stepping in and interfering with um like kids who would have been like me just like a classic tomboy who in most cases would have grown up to be a lesbian um like because i have a lot of theories on this i think it's socially that that sissy boys are just those have to be fixed right we got we can't have the have the Hmm. uber sissy boy whereas uh, the uber tomboy you know that's kind of cool that's that's acceptable socially you know i feel like there is this kind of uh double standard here um, this is this is kind of me me, me spit, spitballing here. What, what I'm seeing culturally is most of the kids that we're interfering with, with the blockers and whatnot, are just highly effeminate boys, right? Uh, many for whom gay men now are saying, "Whoa, I was just like that kid, and it fixed yeah. with puberty," right? Um, I just I have to make an intervention here. I know that the onset of uh, females presenting to gender clinics has has rose astronomically over the last few years and dwarfed, incredibly dwarfed the males uh, who are going adolescents. We're talking, but yeah. if we're talking about children, children okay. whose puberty we're gonna we're gonna inter- interrupt. You know, like I, I guess I guess when I say okay. twelve, thirteen, or fourteen, we are on a cusp there, right? Um, so normally with like the actual prepubescent children, these are by and large boys um, okay. historically, right? But, but, but like uh, teenagers presenting in gender clinics, by and large, yes, those are girls, and they're um, they've encountered the, the concept online or in their school. Um, and um, for friend, the most part, yeah. it, it, I, don't, I don't even think bi- uh, gender dysphoria is even really um, the, the issue so much as it is uh, a social club uh, spurs on a lot of this, I think. Um, were you, uh, sorry to interrupt, but were yeah. you uh, given to girly cliques or boy cliques? Were you clicky? I mean, I had groups. Do you want to of, be one of the guys? Yes. Yeah. Or one of the girls? <laughs> no, I was very much, uh, uh, definitely, um, uh, most of my friends were boys. Certainly when I was younger, um, uh, I didn't really have, I mean, I did have like groups of friends, certainly. Um, I was always the odd one, the weird one, um, but also the one that like other people like tried to mirror. I, I don't know. Like I'm trying. Wait, think, they liked you? Yeah, I was, I was, I was huh. well liked in, um, in my, um, uh, in my, in my social groups. Like as a kid, um, I always played with the boys and usually they, they didn't have an issue with that for the most part until they decided to tease me for whatever reason. And then it was on the basis that I was a girl and that would be, you know, like the, uh, uh, you know, one of those, those, as we would say now, a dysphoria trigger. And, uh, I would, take to isolating oh. where, where nobody was interrupting my, you know, my, my living as, as a, as a male fantasy. But, um, uh, oh. when, I, when I was a teenager, um, I, 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 a lot of girls liked me, uh, in a way now that I wonder was, um, 
everybody thought I was a lesbian. I was not a lesbian. I was the absolute opposite of a lesbian. As I, um, huh. um, but I'm, I'm not answering this very. Uh, so I, I I'm had friends. Things I, on you. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't like a uh, like a. I don't know. I've always been pretty introverted, um, but I certainly wasn't like a loner, really. Like I had friends. Um, yeah. um, I'm just. I, I asked because I was just thinking about that. Uh, the question of the social pressure and stuff, and uh, it, it, you kind of answered that by saying that when the boys did their boy thing, and they do that to each other. We tease each. We bust balls, right? right so right. that was the easiest thing to bust was right, your uh, right. your eggs, you know. So. <laughs> So, uh, they, uh, the, uh, groups of boys typically find a weakness and then kind of, uh, test each other on that. And it has this odd kind of, uh, reinforcement of the group dynamic or, uh, resets accepting. And it's kind of actually a, a way of hugging each other too. Yep. Um, in a way. Yeah. It's, it's so I was just thinking about that as opposed to how females, uh, female groups operate, which is a different dynamic, just like male sexuality and female sexuality is different. Male so- socialization and female socialization is very, it's very different. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons why, why transition was another reason why it was quite successful for me. And I, it took me a long time to kind of second guess uh, the, the whole um ideology of it all is is i found male sex male socialization much more comfortable than than female socialization like female socialization it's all about affirmation and 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 um kind of building each other up in in a very um you know like uh, in in a way that just i find really cringy and uncomfortable and and um like uh that um the, the over the over uh, empathizing and um, whereas whereas the kind of yeah, the ball busting and the kind of making fun of each other but in a in a friendly kind of way and uh, but mostly even not really directly interfacing all that much it's more like you know you just do things together, together. Yeah. yeah yeah kind yeah. of it, like that's always been much more comfortable to me than the hmm. the intensity of 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 like the the female socialization. Um, huh. So, yeah, yeah, just one of those reasons that in my brain is like, yep, really, man, all along, it was true. Um, you, this is a personal question, so you can totally uh, wiggle out of it and I won't look down on you or just not answer it at all. I'm just, um, we, we spoke about your sexuality switching, but sexuality is just kind of um, one level of being intimate with uh, other people. And... Uh, a heterosexual relationship between a male and a female has certain patterns to it that are different than a relationship between a male and a, a male and a female and a female on, on a number of different levels. So um, when you did transition and your sexuality kind of switched over, did you have to relearn how to be with women? Like there's one thing to learn to be a man or to be a man. Um, but then being with a man, you know, is one skill, like in, in a relationship sense, being with a woman kind of takes on certain other skills. Did you, um, was there a learning curve to that? No, that's a good question. I mean, so when I was with men in the past, I, well, I've always gravitated towards, towards effeminate, um, Mm-hmm. more sensitive uh, uh type Sisters. men so yeah yeah so even when i was in like in in what would look like a traditional heterosexual relationship um uh you know i was often the, i was the pants wearer let's say you know like yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so i don't know um uh if uh, so then um being being in relationships with women um i, I feel like it was kind of it, it, 
it was kind of easy to, to kind of once I once I realized I was sexually attracted to women, um, it, I don't feel like it was a learning curve. It, it was quite natural um, to because because being with women just in a platonic sense was always kind of uncomfortable to me because like, you know, they're I didn't know how to be. A woman. I don't know if that makes sense, but socially, I always yeah. felt uncomfortable being interpreted as a woman. So, in a relationship yeah. with a woman, uh, in, a, in a in a romantic sexual relationship, that's when I think it's most easy to just kind of be. Again, I'm not a man. I know that, but like, just it was very natural to just like be a man in that capacity, if that makes sense. Um, so, I don't think I learned anything so much as the awkwardness of. Trying to be a female in a, in a heterosexual male female relationship that was always awkward, even though that's what nature kind of bestowed upon me. Um, hmm. uh, that that I think there was more awkwardness and trying to navigate that uh, than yeah than when I was presenting as a man, living as a man, attracted to women, being in a relationship, being in relationships with women it was kind of kind of made intuitive easy sense, I guess. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That, that's um. <laughs> the the uh, Sasha and Stella are going to have me on later this month, and I know the question they're going to answer me. Why do you do this? You know, why why are you uh, interested in this? So I'm trying to figure out why I'm interested in this. <laughs> There's just so many different contradictions, and um, it like it, it everything you can turn everything upside down. It's such a it, it's such a stochastic chaotic conversation because nothing is stable. It's so um, interpersonal and dramatic and it's more about literature and the stories that we live and we tell than the facts of reality in a lot of ways. And I bring that up because what you just described is that in one way of conceptualizing what you're talking about and and understanding uh, your experience, it's very easy for me to say, yeah, you have a male soul. You have a male soul. You have a female body, female brain, but you have a male soul. There's something about you. I, I believe that, that for a long time. <laughs> that that's lodged in you. Um, that that is that's spun in the male direction. Now that sounds like something that's from gender ideology, but I could go in there. I'm, I'm not, I won't do that for this episode. But gender ideology takes it in a completely different direction than just this kind of literary understanding of a character as a character, rather than erecting this whole like weird kind of soul. I just use the word soul, mm -hmm. but it just it just seems like there is a truth to conceiving of the soul and gender as somehow a reality in the lived experience. And I know that these have uh, these, these highly subjectivist, highly relative uh, terms lead into a very unstable ideology that then mm -hmm. goes on to, to uh, try to wreck reality because of that. But there's still some sort of intuitive truth that you are expressing that I can understand how the male soul really fits and then relieving yourself for whatever reason of, uh, your, uh, your breasts. Like when you went through that, I could really feel just how, how powerful that relief was. I could just feel how, how relaxed you were. And <clears throat> I don't, I don't know where I was going with that, but it's just, um, just being able to, speak with people about such an 
outlier experience really does shed light on the inlier experience or a lot and not just the normal people, but like all the variations within whatever hazy concept we have of the normal uh, being so uh, distressed in your life and then going through all these processes to deal with that really um, it just sheds light on sex and on gender, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whether or not it's uh there's problems with gender ideology. I'm against gender ideology, but I'm not gender critical because I think it's just a, it's a fact of uh, human relationship. It's a social manifestation of a very complex organism that the human mm-hmm. being is. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you said you said a lot there. I think. Um, yeah, I did. It's, I mean, I get, no, no, you're good. You're good. <laughs> I think, yeah, the, kind of the, the trans, uh, uh, the trans stuff is is fascinating. I think from from. A, Variety of I'm sorry. I, let me just say, I, I'm, I, if I demeaned your transness by <laughs> like treating you like some sort of weird social spider that I found, and I'm just poking around in a terrarium, I don't mean that. Maybe I'm doing that though. So if I am, I, I apologize. That's not my intention. No, no, no. You're totally good. You're no, and you're not at all. Um, uh, I think. Uh, I guess I I do that too. To all people all the time, uh, just, just treating people as, as facets of, of curiosity. Um, but, uh, but, I, but I think, yeah, t- with the experience of transition, like we had, we had, uh, uh Carol Hooven on, uh, so she, she's, mm-hmm. you know, wrote the book on testosterone, literally wrote the book on testosterone recently. And, uh, uh, uh it, it is really interesting. The, the, the kind of special place, and I don't want to be all hoity and special place I exist in society but like when somebody who's kind of like uh, uh, experienced the world in, in 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 one facet of like the gender binary and then experience the world uh, in another facet of it it's like we do have some sort of weird insight uh, useful insight uh, into into how the, the other half lives as you were as it were um, hmm. but I so I'm quite gender critical in that I don't believe like so we could say rather than saying like gendered souls or whatever you could say that i have a masculine essence or some shit like that but yeah. like i don't think that that like that doesn't mean that i necessarily have to live as a man right okay so okay. so for me for okay. me it's quite comfortable yeah. right right it's quite comfortable to live this way it was very relieving but then there's also people who are incredibly effeminate uh males um who it, it doesn't make them any less men, right? It doesn't make um, yeah. So yeah, yeah. I guess that's where where I'm. I, so yeah. I'm. I, I understand you're saying you're not gender critical in the same way that that I'm not. In that um, there there are certain modes of behavior that that are very bound to our biological sex. It's like something I've learned a lot. Again, reading Carol Hooven's book, reading Deborah So's book. Um, it, it really it really sheds light. And then my own experience of operating on my natal, hor- uh, you know, level of, of hormones and, and the, uh, the 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 testosterone that I've uh, you know externally uh, applied. Um, so I, I can I can see exactly what they're writing about in that in that there are oh, there are very different experiences between uh, you know like the the male lived experience versus the um, the female lived experience. And hmm. yeah yeah we do have that that kind of interesting uh, uh, dual perspective to offer. I guess. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure if that just building on what you were saying, trying to make sense. Trans, are you trans? Like the more I look into it, the more that concept is a very fishy concept. Like, uh, how do you define yourself as trans? Are you trans person? Uh, 
Yes, I say that I am trans because I have physically altered my body in the direction of the opposite sex. So I don't think there's anything innately trans about – I mean, okay, so you could say that there's things that like uh, probably um, – where where I was likely to develop gender dysphoria, uh, maybe I was you know likely uh, exposed to high levels of testosterone in utero or something that's likely to to cause me yeah. to develop gender dysphoria. But that doesn't mean that I am trans. Like uh, I talk to people all the time who have very severe uh, gender dysphoria, like what Stella O'Malley had when she was a kid, right? Very severe form of childhood gender dysphoria. Uh, she is not trans. Uh, you know, she is a happy, healthy heterosexual woman with children and. But um, so I, th- so yes, I am trans because I have transitioned okay. my body to yeah. appear as the opposite sex. But um, um, but so prior to transitioning, was I trans? No. Okay. Yeah. So trans is something that is done. Trans is a. Uh, it's a decision. I think it's a decision that you it's make. It's a decision. Yeah, it's and it's an implementation of a decision. Yes. 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 Yeah. With yeah. with technology included in yeah. that. Yeah. So a uh, if we erase the medical um, empire or whatever it is and people weren't able to transition would we be uh, left with gender non-conforming people and gender conforming people um, rather than cis people and trans people? Yeah, I think that would be probably probably better uh, long term for all of us, right? Um, I, th- I think there should be uh, obviously um, uh, ample space for people who are gender non-conforming, uh, uh, you know, to be to be to be embraced and and um, you know all the, the the gender activists often you know look to other cultures to be like, look, there's two spirits and trans trans people have existed everywhere. It's just this you know white colonial culture that um, invented sex. Invented sex. <laughs> yes. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> Um, they uh, actually say that if yeah, anybody's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, wild wild um, uh, so so yeah we've always had kind of uh, not we but a lot a lot of cultures have had kind of a designation for people who who are so gender non-conforming that they just cannot uh, can't cope with uh, you know with existing within the the binary you know like the fafafine and whatnot um, but mm. like uh, uh it's it's rarely applied to females. You notice that, like, it's usually just. Um, I think Helen Joyce wrote about this um, with probably the greatest book, the most necessary book. Uh, yeah. Anyway, endless. It's called and, trans, if anybody's wondering. Yes, yes. When ideology meets reality, it's just so excellent. Uh, but I think it was in that book where she was uh, pointing out that uh, that these gender non-conforming uh, kind of designations have always existed to preserve masculinity. Um, so, uh, so it's hmm. typically a case of there being highly effeminate men and rather than those highly effeminate men kind of polluting the designation that is male, um, they're, they're created a third, uh, like a third category where they kind of get to be somewhere in between. Hmm. Um, it's, mm-hmm. it's more about preserving, uh, uh, uh you know, the, the masculine, um, framework, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and we really don't see that in the opposite direction, right? Um, where where society makes a place for highly gender nonconforming females for high you know like highly masculine uh, uh, women we don't really see that hmm. maybe in the Lesbos if, but that's a different yeah yeah in within the Lesbos um, I, I just that's an open question to what degree not society at large but female um, 
social circles, how do they deal with masculine women? Um, because uh, typically, and not not uniformly and not to the same degree, uh, effeminate boys are not treated that well by in, in male mm-hmm. groups. Mm-hmm. But, the, you know, there's... Um, it's not always the case that they're always bullied, but there is some sort of uh, repulsion um, mm-hmm. to an, uh, a highly effeminate male mm-hmm. um, that heterosexual males kind of have. Um, cause it, it, maybe because it just messes with our categories and we have a hard time mm-hmm. with that. I don't know if it's the same with highly masculine females within four f- other females uh if females can accept uh more gender variance than males can at least uh in young times that's a good point that's a good point as i think i don't think that that women have the uh ha- have the same uh kind of um uh, uh, aversion to to yeah. masculinity that you know w- within female cultures that male do within and within the the confines of male culture. So that's probably that could be where it, where that came from. Whereas like they had to, men had to create a separate des- or cultures had to create a separate designation for these hyper nonconforming males. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, um, but but within female circles, um, you know, there's a lot more tolerance for for hyper masculinity, and it seems like a lot of places it's actually quite um quite embraced like you you see like a lot of uh otherwise heterosexual women developing crushes on highly butch women like this seems to be um a, a thing that happens um so i i think that there's um uh, Hmm. I, th- I think women are a lot more accepting of, of and even yeah. even uh, celebrating of of, of of extreme masculinity within the ranks uh, versus hmm. the the opposite. Hmm. Is um, when you were uh, when you're trans- you trans so you transitioned uh, ten years ago, decades mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. yeah, um, and you're just a dude. Then everybody treats you like a dude. Is there? Uh, I mean, we're in the Pacific Northwest. We're in a very progressive thing. Do you, is it just you just live in life and you're you're speaking about these issues because you see problems with it? But with regards to your own transition, yeah, in society. I, yeah, my own life. I was just yeah, just a dude for for a long time. Um, uh, it's only um, well, let's see. So. I think I passed as male within a few months of being on testosterone. Um, uh, how do I, yeah, I guess it's just sort of, sort of, uh, I, th- I think I passed quicker than I anticipated passing mm-hmm. and, um, kind of, um, people assuming I was male before I even, um, uh, Is so the whole name thing. Well, stuff, well, because it's, it, it, when I, I transitioned, I was working at the same. I had been working at the same place for a few years. I transitioned on that job, right? So I just assumed, um, and you know, I had all the same friends I'd always had. So I just kind of assumed um, that it would always be a part, like that being trans would just be a part of my life. Like I didn't, I guess I didn't think about uh, long term going into different, uh, you know, different social or professional settings where people didn't know me, um, uh, uh, and so, but obviously. 
I went, so I went back to school shortly after transitioning, uh, got a bachelor's degree. But that was an interesting experience because uh, right, I'm 37 years old. I went back to school at the age of 28. So I'd been transitioning for a year. I looked like any other 19-year-old or 19 or 20-year-old dude there. Oh, but yeah, I was okay. very much pushing 30. And so yeah. when uh, when you've, you know, like joined in study groups or whatever, uh, there was like an, an ethical <laughs> conundrum there, right? You know, because like, uh, you know, these <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, it was it was awkward. So I didn't I didn't socialize. Wait, 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 wait! Like expand on this ethical quandary. Well, were were you getting hit on by these uh, yes, young yes. Uh, so, so pajama wearing uh, college girls? <laughs> So this was ju- this was just prior to um, this is in like 20, 2014, uh when I yeah okay thirteen. Yeah. So it was just prior to kind of woke uh, uh, takeover, right? Um, um, so. So there's still a little bit more. Um, uh, yeah, it was. It was. Fun. It, was a, it was. It was a different time, I guess. I don't know. Is is <laughs> things changed? Things changed. But but I definitely didn't. So when I realized that uh, that you know potentially 18, 19 year old girls, you know, were, were, were hitting on me or just kind of like, well, not yeah. hitting on me, but flirting with me, you know. Uh, when I, I had that that experience once or twice, and so. You have to remember that I was read as female until like five minutes ago, right? At this oh, point, yeah. and so I realized that a lot of the ways that I was engaging was um, uh, seemed very much like I was flirting. Like if if they're interpreting me to be a twenty year old man instead of you know a twenty eight year old who's lived as a female, you know, up until that point, right? And so I'm quite expressive and um, uh, just engaging, and I think I come across as very. Uh, uh, Charming and, yeah. and and essentially flirtatious when really um, that wasn't my intention, right? And so You're just when, being nice. I'm just being nice, you know. I'm just being <laughs> open and you know, like you know, really kind of accommodating and let's let's include everybody. When uh, because again, I also saw myself as being much older than these people, right? And so I was like, yeah. all right, guys, here, let's do you know. And so I think yeah. I, I, I so if I'm interpreted, if I'm seen. Um, from from uh, you know freshman sophomore from, from college as I'm, if I'm interpreted by college girls to be just a straight dude at 20 years old behaving that way it's like I come across very engaging very confident very charming um, yeah. and so I think I was getting attention that I didn't realize it was was the kind of attention I was getting and then I was like. Because I'm like damn she is so cute and she is paying so much attention to me but then it'd be like. Wait no, this is this is not on. You know, like this is uh, uh, there's a there's a. Th- first of all, I'm not the sex you think I am, and and second of all, I'm a decade mm. older than you, and this just is is ethically. So I, I kind of retreated. You know, I didn't I didn't engage too much socially uh, oh. in in the college uh, uh, realm because of that. I didn't want to out myself. Obviously, I was really I was really digging just being stealth, right, and just and just living okay. as a man. Yeah. And so I didn't want to. Um, so so rather so I felt like there was there was an ethical gray area by engaging with people who are much younger than me who thought I was their age and male, right? There was just um, an ethical gray area there that I didn't really unpack. I just avoided, right? So I just became very, you know, not, I didn't socialize too much. Um, But uh, so anyway, I graduated, I got a different job. And again, so I was just, um, at that point, I was, um, uh, you know, testosterone had, had had more of an impact on me that I looked much more my age still. You know, I was in my early 30s. I probably looked like I was in my mid-20s. Um, but either way, I was I was an adult, and I, uh, it, it, it didn't have the ethical area, gray area that, um, you know, being interpreted as an 18, 19-year-old at school did. Um, anyway, so yes, I was, I was just sort of – I made new friends who um, – 
didn't know that you know you know that that I was trans. Um, uh, but then as I as I um, you know started hanging out with people more frequently, you know I would divulge that uh, that information. Um, uh, hmm. Just because it, it feels, I mean, there's a certain kind of uh, surface level, um, you know, relationships, you know, friendships that you can have with people, uh, but but it starts to feel like you're kind of living a lie a little bit. Like if they don't know this whole other half of your, this whole, basically hmm. the majority of my history was not male, you know. Um, so it, hmm. it's it, so I don't know. Once I you know get you know make make friends. Uh, you know, in a more, um, you know, where you're, you're seeing each other outside of work, hanging out a lot, uh, that's when it becomes relevant. But, um, hmm. but is I didn't, that a, huh? is that, well, I, that's kind of a social issue I could see. Um, it's a personal issue, but it's a social issue with regards to how people accept you insofar as people do accept you and then why they wouldn't accept you or why there would be problems with that. But that's also, it's really personal. It's really private. Yeah. And um, as you start to get intimate with somebody, then this is kind of another cognitive load that you've inherited <clears throat> or kind of a cost benefit thing that you have to, okay, and probably just experience has taught you when it is and how to do it depending on the person and, and uh, when mm -hmm. you can trust them and when it's the right thing. Um, but having to learn that and then, um, and then you don't know how they're going to respond a hundred percent. Right. Yeah. But yeah. I, I guess living in the area that we live in, there's probably more likelihood of acceptance than an overreaction in the negative direction. Yep. Yep. So yeah, so first of all, like somebody that I kind of want to be friends with, that I feel like there'd be a value in having, uh, you know, a deep interpersonal connection with. It's like I know that that's per that person is not going to react um, overly negatively anyway, right? So it's like yeah. I've already vetted them to a certain degree, not even consciously even. Uh, but again, in the in the part of the world we live in, it's pretty safe to say that. Um, uh, you know, it's it, it's certainly not going to be unsafe. That's never that was never a concern in my mind at all. Uh, but it's just you know how how freaked out is this person going to be by this declaration? Oh, yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's about it. And it certainly never cost me any friendships. Um, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. But then, what I I, I I gave up the whole stealth thing as far as the in, is the day to day uh, goings on. Um, in 2018, it was uh, Trans Day of Visibility that I, I posted on Facebook, oh. basically outing myself to everybody because I had realized this sort of um, uh, this this new cultural narrative had taken over um, of um, you know you, you know things had changed quite dramatically uh, in 2018, and I felt like. Um, uh, there, there, there was a lot of uh, a lot of dangerous stuff that was that was taking place under the the trans identification that I didn't know about until quite recently. And uh, again, this is what I talk a lot about in the um, the episode of Gender Wider Lens uh, with Sasha and Stella, where I, I became aware that a lot of people were transitioning as club initiation, right? As 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 entry into a a, a social subgroup, a, a, like a yeah, like a, like a subculture to belong to, and, and transitioning, yeah. physically transitioning is how you is how you gain access uh, to that subgroup. And hmm. and and when I saw how kind of widespread this this understanding was, um, I realized that I needed to um, kind of not be complicit in it. I think that's where that's where it was coming from initially was um, uh, kind of. 
Not I, in I, my name kind of thing. Exactly, exactly. I, I knew that this was going into very, very scary territories, and I couldn't do shit about it if people thought I was a cis man. You know, like I knew I had to out myself in order to combat this thing. Um, and so I did that. And then hmm. it's just been within the confines of COVID that I've started becoming uh, very outspoken. Um, uh uh, so what was it spring or June of 2020 that uh, JK Rowling wrote the turf wars and that's when all hell broke loose mainstream media wise in relation to this and I realized this is no longer a niche internal battle um, this is this is a large scale uh, a cultural takeover and and that's when I haven't basically shut the fuck up about it since because I feel like I can can say things and do things about it so uh, well, but yeah. There's something about, um, not the, okay, it was just a personal question. I don't need a, or a statement, but so I don't, it's a personal conversation, so I don't need to be constantly, um, caveating, but you, I've seen people burn out. I've seen people stand up. I've seen people, trans people and detransitioners throw themselves into this conflict and <clears throat> it takes a big toll on them and they aren't necessarily in the best place to be speaking out about these things too. You seem like you have two uh, feet on the ground and your head somewhere below the uh, cloud cover, even though it gets foggy here, you know, um, what is the toll have you been aware of the toll of speaking out about this, of taking the, this particular bull by the horns? And have you had to regulate the way that you go about that? What kind of lessons have you learned about communications through this project that you're engaged in? Uh, again, very good question. Um, uh, so... Uh, so at first I was just completely uh, gung ho. Like um, I, I, I know I feel like you know I spent a lot of times just a lot of time just kind of um, uh, background data crunching the, the the information I was seeing within the trans community and the and the rationale and the and the behaviors and whatnot. And I felt like I kind of figured out what was going on, uh, and that uh, and I needed to um, uh, to kind of really put myself out there in order to, uh, to express what I was seeing. And, um, so to answer your question, yeah, it is, it is, uh, sometimes I do feel like I'm approaching uh, burnout just because, um, kind of hmm. interacting with this stuff academically, um, uh, or, um, uh, just theoretically, theoretically, or theoretically. Yeah, intellectual, okay. intellectually, theoretically, um, is is kind of what I need to do, and, and I find that easy, and it doesn't take an emotional toll. But I feel like in order to do that honestly, I have to essentially just open my chest about everything personal, and so that's the part. Like what I'm doing uh, here today, you know, it's like yeah. these are the thing, these are the conversations, and the conversations that we're having on on transparency a lot, um, where I feel like most people get the most benefit out of it. You know, anybody can, like Helen Joyce, can 100% better than I can articulate what's going on socially. Um, uh, uh, that's what I, I mean. That's what I want to do is spell out what's going on here socially. But I feel like. Uh, in order to do that, I really have to explain mm. what gender dysphoria is uh, for me, uh, what what I see it is, you know, what I, trends I see going on um, in other people, and, and just kind of like 
I, I have to kind of open my entire uh, 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 innermost uh, uh, insecurities and um, mm. you know processes and whatnot uh, in order to combat this stuff. I feel like that's that's the most beneficial thing I can contribute. But then sometimes I just go, why the fuck did I say all that? Like, you know, thousands of people could have. And I mean, but then it's like that's the point. That's why I'm doing this is uh, is so people yeah. uh, you know interact yeah. with it, and so people know that this isn't a mystery. Uh, that that a, a tr- trans isn't the sacred state of you know state of being. Um, mm. And and I feel like so I, I have to kind of yeah bare my soul in order to, to 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 make my point heard. But I do yeah. I, I was joking with Aaron and Mars about this recently. It's like I have this this constant cycle of holy shit why did i just say all that i'm gonna go you know off the grid and live in the woods and like wait no that's that's on not helpful that's beside you know that's the this is the entire reason i started doing all this and i talked myself back into it again it's like you know how many times did i think about wait i've told so like do i need to go on voice and talk about this i mean i'm so excited to be like i think you're doing great work here and i'm glad to be on here but do Uh, i really need to do it it's like yeah, because my my compulsion is to just like overshare, and then I'm like, holy shit! Yeah, I just mm-hmm. I just said all that. So, um, but uh, yeah, I think I think there's benefit in it, there's usefulness in it. But if I, one day I just disappear from Twitter, uh, <laughs> I'm You've not done. I'm not dead. I'm just <laughs> yeah, recharging. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of that, what is the other thing in your life? Uh, dog, uh, video games, uh, like woodworking. Uh, like what's the cool hobby that you have that really, uh, that you get to not do what you're doing here and that you get a lot of pleasure out of? Uh, since COVID I've taken, well, I've always been a, been a hiker. I like hiking and backpacking and, and camping and just, yeah, getting out in the woods. I, uh, took up, uh, uh, fishing, uh, since COVID that's nice. You can kind of be out around strangers and not really interacting, but, uh, it, it, uh, it just kind of nice to to get out on the water and uh uh, i don't know um so yeah i took up fishing recently paddle boarding most of this stuff you can't really do year round here where we live because it you know it gets dark at 4 Mm -hmm. p.m and then it's raining all the time but um so uh yeah you know alcohol helps (laughs) (laughs) okay what do you drink what do you drink (laughs) oh i love gin i love gin too much but (laughs) oh really yeah yeah. like mixed or just with juice or gin and tonic yeah yeah i'm a big fan of of the gin and tonics but i have i have reduced that dramatically just because i feel like uh um mental it doesn't you know you you think it's relieving and it's and it's it's helpful but it uh, it ends up having more of a negative impact on you know on your yeah, mental state than cost it. benefit yeah, yeah yeah going back to that cost benefit there you go yeah. yep yeah. yep well thank you for uh spending your sunday afternoon with me yeah thank it was you really for really fun it was great to meet you you're really uh i feel close to you you know like like the way that you are, you're, yeah. just, you're, you're somebody that is really easy to engage with and uh, feel close to. It was really well, thank you, thank you very much. I, I have uh, a big admiration for your your interviewing style. You have uh, uh, just a brilliant way of interviewing people. I've never encountered anybody who asks such profound and on the nose <laughs> questions that are completely on the fly. It's obviously derived directly from what okay. the person just said. And it, right. it, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't know what I'm doing. I, well, you definitely come across. It just like happens. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> it works. It works very well. <laughs> I'm gonna end the. Uh, I'm gonna end the recording. You want to say goodbye to the uh, families at home. <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. Congratulations for reaching the end of the discussion. If you enjoyed it, do be sure to leave a review or a comment or a thumbs up or whatever you need to do.
to show that glorious algorithm that this is some good stuff. And do be sure to go and check that back catalog as it is brimming full of fantastic conversations. Links to provide monetary support are down there in the description as well. Have a good night.